Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Friday, February 17th episode. That's episode, oh geez, is it 169 or 170? I think it's 170. Um, let me check and see. Um, I hate to give false information out there, but I am Wayne Floyd, your host. And uh, the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a proud, well, actually more a humble member of the, yeah, it's episode 170, um, of the uh, Christian Podcast Community. You can find us at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A wonderful, wonderful collection out there of podcasts. I would definitely recommend you go out there and find more to listen to. Um, And like I've said before, you find something out there that you'd rather listen to than me. I'm okay with that. Um, There are a good number of them out there that I listen to. um, And I wish I could listen to more. Um, I really wish I could fit more time in to listen to more of them. Um, But definitely worth your while. I also want to continue to remind you to look at the Final link in our show notes, that is the one for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. Uh, What we were trying to do is we were trying to rapidly pay off our mortgage so we can shift gears and we can establish for our community here a Christian classical education-based school so we can provide alternatives. We want to provide an alternative um, in this area for, for our parents and grandparents for raising their children or grandchildren. So, Go ahead and click on the link and take a read. Um, It'll be a much better description than I've just given you, much more thorough. Um, And then we would ask three things of you. We would ask you to pray for us. We would ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And then we would ask you to pass the link along so others can do the same thing. All right. So we are going to go ahead and get into our reading for this morning. Here we we are near the end of the work week. And... um, We're going to go ahead, like we do every Friday morning, we're going to open up with the sixth day morning prayer. It's called the gospel. Let's pray. O thou most high, creator of the ends of the earth, governor of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy goodness infinite, thy compassions unfailing, thy providence boundless, thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. How important suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, 
improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right. Now our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 17th. The text this morning is Genesis 25:11. Isaac dwelt by the well Lahai Roy. Hagar, Hagar had once found deliverance there, and Ishmael had drank from the water. So graciously revealed by the God who liveth and seeth the sons of men. But this was a, a merely casual visit, such as worldlings pay to the Lord in times of need, when it serves their turn. They cry to him in trouble, but forsake him in prosperity. Isaac dwelt there, and made the well of the living, and all-seeing God his constant source of supply. The usual tenor of a man's life, the dwelling of his soul, is the true test of his state. Perhaps the providential visitation experienced by Hagar struck Isaac's mind and led him to revere the place. Its mystical name endeared it to him. His frequent musings by its brim at eventide made him familiar with the well. His meeting Rebecca there had made his spirit feel at home near the spot. But best of all, the fact that he there enjoyed fellowship with the living God had made him select that hallowed ground for his dwelling. Let us learn to live in the presence of the living God. Let us pray the Holy Spirit that this day and every other day we may feel, Thou God, Thou God seest me. May the Lord Jehovah be as a well to us, delightful, comforting, unfailing, springing up unto eternal life. The bottle of the creature cracks and dries up, but the well of the Creator never fails. Happy is he who dwells at the well, and so has abundant and constant supplies near at hand. The Lord has been a sure helper to others. His name is Shaddai, God all-sufficient. Our hearts have often had most delightful intercourse with him. Through him our soul has found her glorious husband, the Lord Jesus, and in him this day we live and move and have our being. Let us then dwell in the closest fellowship with him. Glorious Lord, constrain us that we may never leave thee, but dwell by the well of the living God. All right, and now our reading for the day. Uh, we're going to start in Leviticus 4. We've got Leviticus 4 and 5, and then some in Mark 2 and 3, Psalm 36, and then first two verses of Proverbs 10. So we're going to get started here, like I said, in Leviticus 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally in any of the things which Yahweh has commanded not to be done, and he does any one of them, if the anointed priest sins so as to bring guilt on the people, then let him bring near to Yahweh a bull from the herd without blemish, as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. Then he shall bring the bull to the doorway of the tent of meeting before Yahweh, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the bull and slaughter the bull before Yahweh. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it to the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before Yahweh in front of the veil of the sanctuary. The priest shall also put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense, which is before Yahweh in the tent of meeting. And all the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Then he shall raise up from it all the fat of the bull of the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat which is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys, just as it is raised up from the ox of the sacrifice of peace offerings. 
and the priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar of burnt offering. But the height of the bull and all its flesh with its head and its legs and its entrails and its refuge, refuse, sorry, that is all the rest of the bull, he shall bring out to a clean place outside the camp where the ashes are poured out and he shall burn it on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. Now, if the whole congregation of Israel commits error and the matter is hidden from the sight of the assembly and they commit any of the things which Yahweh has commanded not to be done and they become guilty when the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall bring near a bull from the herd for a sin offering and bring it before the tent of meeting. Then the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before Yahweh and the bull shall be slaughtered before Yahweh. Then the anointed priest shall bring some of the blood of the bull to the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before Yahweh in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar which is before Yahweh in the tent of meeting. And all the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering which is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He shall then raise up all its fat from it and offer it up in smoke on the altar. He shall also do with the bull, just as he did with the bull of the sin offering. Thus he shall do with it, so the priest shall make atonement for them, and they will be forgiven. Then he shall bring out the bull to a place outside the camp, and burn it as he burned the first bull. It is the sin offering for the assembly. When a leader sins and unintentionally does any one of all the things which Yahweh his God has commanded not to be done, and he becomes guilty, or if his sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a male without blemish. Then he shall lay his hand on the head of the male goat and slaughter it in the place where they slaughter the burnt offering before Yahweh. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering. And the rest of its blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And all its fat he shall offer up in smoke on the altar as in the case of the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him in regard to his sin, and he will be forgiven. Now if any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any of the things which Yahweh has commanded not to be done, and becomes guilty, or if his sin which he has committed is made known to him, then he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, and slaughter the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and all the rest of its blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar. Then he shall remove all its fat, just as the fat was removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar for a soothing aroma to Yahweh. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he will be forgiven. But if he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring it a female without blemish. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, and slaughter it for a sin offering in the place where they slay the burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering. And all the rest of its blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar. Then he shall remove all its fat, just as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar, on the offerings by fire to Yahweh. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him in regard to his sin which he has committed, and he will be forgiven. All right, Leviticus 5. 
Now, if a person sins after he hears a public oath to testify when he is a witness, whether he has seen or otherwise known, if he does not tell it, then he will bear his guilt. Or a person who touches any unclean thing, whether a carcass or an unclean beast, or the carcass of unclean cattle, or a carcass of unclean swarming things, though it is hidden from him, yet he is unclean, will be guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness, of whatever sort his uncleanness may be with which he becomes unclean, and it is hidden and it is hidden from him, and then he comes to know it, he will be guilty. Or if a person swears thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, in whatever matter, matter a man may speak thoughtlessly with a sworn oath, and it is hidden from him, and then he comes to know it, he will be, be guilty in one of these. So it shall be, when he becomes guilty in one of these, that he shall confess that in which he has sinned. He shall also bring his guilt offering to Yahweh for his sin which he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to Yahweh his guilt offering for that in which he has sinned, two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And he shall bring them to the priest, who shall bring near first that which is for the sin offering, and shall nip its head at the front of its neck, but he shall not separate it. He shall also sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. The second he shall then prepare as a burnt offering according to the legal judgment. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin which he has committed, and it will be forgiven him. But if his means are insufficient for two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then for his offering for that which he has sinned, he shall bring the tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall not place oil on it or put frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. He shall then bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take his handful of it as its memorial portion, and offer it up in smoke on the altar with the offerings of Yahweh by fire. It is a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin, which he has committed from one of these, and it will be forgiven him. Then the rest shall become the priests, like the grain offering. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, If a person acts unfaithfully and sins unintentionally against the holy thing of things of Yahweh, then he shall bring his guilt offering to Yahweh, a ram without blemish from the flock, according to your valuation in silver by shekels, in terms of the shekel of the sanctuary, for a guilt offering. And he shall make restitution for that which he has sinned against the holy thing, and he shall add to it, I'm sorry, and he shall add to its fifth part of it, and give it to the priest. The priest shall then make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and it will be forgiven him. Now if a person sins and does any one of the things which Yahweh has commanded not to be done, but he was unaware, still he is guilty and shall bear his punishment. He is then to bring to the priest a ram without blemish from the flock, according to your valuation, for a guilt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his error in which he sinned unintentionally and did not know it, and it will be forgiven him. It is a guilt offering. He has certainly he was certainly guilty before Yahweh. All right. <clears throat> and now Mark 2, starting in verse 13 through the end of the chapter. And he went out again by the seashore, and the entire crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. And he stood up and followed him. 
and it happened that as he was reclining at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. And when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they were saying to his disciples, He is eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, Those who are healthy do not have need for a physician, but only those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and they came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the attendants of the bridegroom fast when the bridegroom is with them? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise that patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need, and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God around the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests? And he also gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus was saying to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Consequently, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath." All right, and Mark 3, we're reading to verse 6. And he entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began taking counsel together with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. All right, and now Psalm 36. For the choir director of the servant of Yahweh, of David. Transgression declares to the ungodly within his heart, there is no dread of God before his eyes. For it flatters him in his eyes, for one to discover his iniquity and hate it. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to consider to do good. He devises wickedness upon his bed. He sets himself on a path that is not good. He does not despise evil. Your loving kindness, O Yahweh, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep. O Yahweh, you save man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the sons of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They are satisfied from the richness of your house, and you give them to the drink of the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your loving kindness to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come upon me, and let not the hand of the ungodly drive me away. 
There the workers of wickedness have fallen. They have been thrust down and cannot rise. All right, and finally, Proverbs 10, verses 1 and 2. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. All right, well, that is our reading for today. Um, I, would, I, I hope you have a wonderful day. Um, I hope you're getting ready for a great weekend and planning for church on Saturday night or Sunday, whichever it happens to be for you, because um, you definitely need to be worshiping with the saints. <clears throat> I would implore you to go out and do all that you do for the glory of God. Um, definitely a criticality for us that, that, that profess to be believers. Um, excuse me. And God willing, I will see you this evening and we'll do our evening, evening session and continue our study in the gospel of John, John chapter six. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. We're going to close with another one from Valley of Vision. It's called Belonging to Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, teach me to see that if Christ has pacified thee and satisfied divine just, justice, he can also deliver me from my sins. That Christ does not desire me, now justified, to live in self-confidence in my own strength, but gives me the law of the Spirit of life to enable me to obey thee. That the Spirit and his power are mine, by resting on Christ's death, that the spirit of life within answers to the law without, that if I sin not, I should thank thee for it, that if I sin, I should be humbled daily under it, that I should mourn for sin more than other men do. For when I see I shall die because of sin, that makes me mourn. When I see how sin strikes at thee, that makes me mourn. When I see the sin that sin caused Christ's death, that makes me mourn. That sanctification is the evidence of reconciliation, proving that faith has truly apprehended Christ. Thou hast taught me that faith is nothing else than receiving thy kindness, that it is an adherence to Christ, a resting on him, love clinging to him as a branch to the tree, to seek life and vigor from him. I thank thee for showing me the vast difference between knowing things by reason and knowing them by the spirit of faith. By reason I see a thing is so, by faith I know it as it is. I have seen thee by reason, and have not been amazed. I have seen thee as thou art in thy son, and have been ravished to behold thee. I bless thee that I am thine and my Savior Jesus. Amen. All right, you go and have yourself a great day, and like I said, God willing, I'll see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Friday, February 17th episode. It's episode 170 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. I would definitely encourage you to get over there and look. There are many, many, many great podcasts over there. Uh, believe me, <clears throat> you will, <laughs> you won't find a bad one. And believe me, you're going to run out of time listening. You won't be able to listen to all of them, but you're really going to want to. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely worth your time. Um, fact being, um, 
they stream most of those over there on many, many platforms. Um, but what you can do, I mean, as things are kind of changing in the world, there is a RSS feed. They have an RSS feed that contains um, the, the most recent, well, actually contains all of their podcasts. Um, and we'll, um, I think you can actually grab one that has the most recent podcasts um, for their different shows. So you can go out there and grab one on like a daily basis um, and drop it into whichever podcasting platform you prefer to use. And, um, you know, it, it, it can be great. It can be a great way to stay caught up with with the episodes. Um, and again, it's definitely worth your while. I would definitely encourage you to do so. Um, it is great. And I, I'm very, very grateful that they they accepted me and and felt that what I was doing was worthwhile um, because I'm doing I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for the glory of God. I'm doing it to try to do what little part I can for the growth of his kingdom. Um, it, it's, you know, again, it's not about me. It never has been. Uh, believe me, when I first started getting this call, this was a number of years ago, the, the call to preach and teach and do this kind of thing. Believe me, I, I'm a guy who doesn't like change and I sure didn't want any more work. I was pretty comfortable with what I had going on. And I was, I very much was a, you're kidding me. Right. And God was like, no, I'm, I'm not kidding you. And yeah, you may hate you. You may be unhappy with this, but this is where we're going. Um, so, um, some of it was a little, well, I would say kicking and screaming, but that's not true. Um, because as soon as I realized this was where he wanted me to go and this is where he wanted me to head, um, all I could do was dig in and try to figure out the best way to do it for him and try to make sure that I would, I was properly studying the scriptures and properly handling them. So that that's really what I try to do, um, each morning and each evening, um, to properly handle his scriptures and or handle them with the appropriate awe and reverence. Um, so I pray that I will actually do that. And I hope that the time is edifying for you. And I've kind of rambled enough, I guess here we, here we are at the beginning, but let's, so let's go ahead and let's open up with prayer. Like we usually do from Valley of vision. Uh, the one we're going to open up with today or this evening is called the all good. The title is the all good, all dash good. Let's pray. My God, thou hast helped me to see that whatever good be in honor and rejoicing, how good is he who gives them and can withdraw them. That blessedness does not lie so much in receiving good from and in thee, but in holding forth thy glory and virtue, that it is an amazing thing to see deity in a creature speaking, acting, filling, shining through it, that nothing is good but thee, that I am near good when I am near thee, that to be like thee is a glorious thing. This is my magnet, my attraction. Thou art all my good in times of peace, my only support in days of trouble, my one sufficiency when life shall end. Help me to see how good thy will is in all, and even when it crosses mine. <clears throat> Sorry, teach me to be pleased with it. Grant me to feel thee in fire and food and every providence, and to see that thy many gifts and creatures are but thy hands and fingers taking hold of me. Thou bottomless fountain of all good, I give myself to thee out of love, for all I have or own is thine, my goods, family, church, self, to do with as thou wilt, to honor thyself by me and by all mine, if it be consistent with thy eternal counsels, the purpose of thy grace, and the great ends of thy glory, then bestow upon me the blessings of thy comforts, if not, let me resign myself to thy wiser determinations. Amen. 
All right, now our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 17th. The text for it is uh, comes from Ezekiel 35.10. Whereas the Lord was there, Edom's princes saw the whole country left desolate and counted upon its easy conquest. But there was one great difficulty in their way, quite unknown to them. The Lord was there. And in his presence lay the special security of the chosen land. Whatever may be the machinations and devices of the enemies of God's people, there is still the same effectual burial barrier to thwart their design. The saints are God's heritage, and he is in the midst of them and will protect his own. What comfort this assurance yields us in our troubles and spiritual conflicts. We are constantly opposed and yet perpetually preserved. How often Satan shoots his arrows against our faith, but our faith defies the power of hell's fiery darts. They are not only turned aside, but they are quenched upon its shield. For the Lord is there. Our good works are the subjects of Satan's attacks. A saint never yet had a virtue or a grace which was not the target for hellish bullets. Whether it was hope bright and sparkling, or love warm and fervent, or patience all-enduring, or zeal flaming like coals of fire, the old enemy of everything that is good has tried to destroy it. The only reason why anything virtuous or lovely survives in us is this, the Lord is there. The Lord be with us through life. I'm sorry. If the Lord be with us through life, we need not fear for our dying confidence. For when we come to die, we shall find that the Lord is there. Where the billows are most most tempestuous and the water is most chill, we shall feel the bottom and know that it is good. Our feet shall stand upon the rock of ages. When time is passing away, Beloved from the first of a Christian's life to the last, the only reason why he does not perish is because the Lord is there. When the God of everlasting love shall change and leave his elect to perish, then may the church of God be destroyed, but not till then, because it is written, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Wow, impressive. All right, we are continuing on in our study of John chapter 6. Um, we previously, the beginning of John chapter six, we went through the feeding of the 5,000 or really the 15 to 20,000, uh, which was in the first 14 verses of it or 15 verses. Actually, we, we went through that and we saw his feeding of the 5,000. And then we, we came across what followed after that, um, what we called, um, the responses of false, true and false disciples. And we saw, um, we saw again, Jesus's fifth miracle. So we've seen the fourth one. And then we see the fifth miracle, but both in the same book of Jesus walking on water, we saw him send the disciples away, send the crowd away. Um, and then after he had had his prayer time, he walked across the water heading towards Capernaum and he comes across, he heads towards them and comes across their boat, um, and you know, scares them to death, which it wasn't really intentional, but I mean, go figure that they're going to freak out. But when he comes to them and tells them it is I, you know, ego aimi, it is I, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. You're okay. You know, it, it will be fine. Um, and that may, let me back up to that because I know he says it differently and I'm not saying it very well. Uh, Oh, there we go. 
it is I, do not be afraid. So he's saying, I am Yahweh, do not be afraid. That's why that one is not really considered one of the I am statements. Um, you know, the I am who I am. Um, but it's the same nomenclature. It's the same Greek structure. But so we've come to that and we saw, we saw the true disciples. We saw those disciples, you know, accept him into the boat. And as Matthew, Matthew 14 says, they worshiped him. And, and we even see G Peter be in such a hurry to get to him. He, he, he goes, you know, Jesus, call me to you and I will come across the water to you. And so he, he, he himself walks on water. And of course the water and the waves, the, the, the waves and the wind freak him out a little bit and his faith wavers. But Jesus grabs him and, you know, oh, oh, you have little faith. And why, you know, why did, why did you do, why did you do that? But brings them into the boat and brings them into Capernaum, having stopped the, the excuse me, stopped the, the storm. So they responded in worship. They, they responded well. They responded and brought him in to the boat. But we saw the false disciples. We saw the crowd those false disciples. Cause again, remember disciples is learner. Disciple is learner. The 12 were disciples, but they were also apostles. These others are not They're disciples or are supposed to be, but they're false disciples. We saw they're, they're so caught up on getting bread. They're so, so caught up on give me more bread, give me more, give me more. And he calls them out on it. I mean, he, he does, he calls them out, out on it that, that, Hey, you know, your, your, your mind's on the wrong thing here. So when we came into last night, so, so last night we came into, into a new section. This is the section on Jesus where he's declaring. Now he's been building into it. You know, he fed the 5,000 with bread and fish. And then the crowd came after him looking for more bread. They were looking for a free breakfast again. And we're going to continue to see that manifest through this next section. And this next section, and I, and I told you before, I'm using Dr. MacArthur's, John MacArthur's, um, you know, chapter headings and section headings and stuff. One, it's easier for me. It honestly makes it easier for me. Um, but I am, I am doing my own research, taking my own notes and stuff like that. But I, it's just, they're so good and I'm not good at putting, putting together those kind of things. I'm really not. It's something I struggle with and I'm trying to get better at. But so this next section, MacArthur calls Jesus, the true bread from heaven. And that's what we started last night. And what we looked at was the contrast last night. It was the contrast towards the bread they thought they were getting the, getting the manna, um, you know, of course they, of course, turned around and asked him, what do you do for a sign? You know, cause he had told them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So then they start asking, you know, looking for credentials. It's like, show us your ID, show us, show us your credentials. It's like, you know, you come up to somebody that, that, you know, that has, that has been publishing for years and is well known around the world as an expert. And you want to ask for their credentials kind of thing. It's like, seriously. And I mean, and this was the Christ who they've already seen, like I said last night, they've already seen, seen or heard of all the miracles he's done. The fact is these people have already participated and watched him feed the 15 to 20,000 people that were there with the equivalent, as I said last evening, with the equivalent of five Twinkies and two sardines. And he fed them and ended up with 12 baskets left over. He ended up with more left over than he started with and fed all of them. To the fullest, no matter what, what people who try to take the, the, the divineness and the miracles out of the gospels, he ended up with more than he started with, which completely shoots any argument they have in the foot, but they were there and he filled them to their fullness. I mean, it, it, it says those kind of words in there. Um, I'm backing up. Let's see. Um, 
as much as they wanted. It talks about the end of verse 11, um, who were seated likewise also the fish. They were distributing them as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he sent the disciples to gather it up. So they're filled. These are not people that are sitting there just going, okay, we'll be happy with what we got. These are people that were full. Needless to say, that's why the next day, that's part of, I'm sure it's part of the motivation the next day. Why they go looking for him again? Give me more food. Give me a free breakfast. Give me more. They want, they want more. So of course, like I, like I said last night, they turn around and (laughs) what works do you perform? You know, give us your credentials. And then of course they start talking about that, that they, their fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. It makes clear that they're still looking for a free meal for a free lunch. Um, and like I brought up before, R.C. Sproul makes the comment, you know, they're looking for a chicken in every, in every, uh, in every, um, sorry, a chicken in every fridge or, or a loaf and a fish in every lunch kind of thing, or a chicken in every pot. That's what he said, or a loaf and a fish in every lunch. Um, you know, I mean, they are, they're looking for a free meal. They're, they're, they're looking for somebody to take care of them. And they're talking about the manna and they quote the old Testament and that's fine. But they're showing a complete, and that's the contrast, they're showing a complete misunderstanding of it. So Jesus contrasts that with what really happened. And he, of course, he leads in with the truly, truly. And he says, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. And he's not referring to the manna at that point. He's referencing that manna, which sure could provide nutrients for them, for their physical life. But God is now giving them, he's making clear, God, my father is now giving you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, not bread to the Israelites, life to the world. He's talking about eternal life and they're still not getting it. They're still not getting it. And that leads into our verses today. And I'm going to go ahead and just read the verses for today and focus on it because this is a big 20 verse segment here. Um, but this is, this is, this is Jesus's discourse on the bread of life. So here comes the first of the, I am statements, the first of his, I am statements in our verses for today. And you'll see it in verse 35, but so I'm going to start in John six, verse 34 through 40. Those are our verses for today. Then they said to him, this is the crowd. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who sees the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. So again, what what we call this, what, what MacArthur calls this, and I agree with him, is he calls this section the confusion. And it's the confusion of this crowd. They're not getting it. And Jesus has continues to lay this out for them, trying to make clear to them because they, you know, they turn around the first part of it, verse 34. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. They're not referencing. I mean, all you got to do is look at this in context. It's really easy. If you just drop into verse 34, Lord, Lord, always give us this bread or verse 33 and 34, Lord, always give us this bread and think, oh, they're asking for the bread of life. They're asking for the true bread. No, they're not. They're wanting a basket of bread in the context of the whole chapter. They are looking for free food. 
They are still looking for free food. You know, that's all they're doing. Lord, always give us this bread. Honestly, it's, it's in the same light as you saw with the Samaritan woman at the well, when he speaks of this, this well that you'll never thirst from again, um, in John four. And, um, and he goes on and, (laughs) and she's like, Lord, always give me that water. And, and, you know, and we talked about it when we went through it. Yeah, she needs that water. At least she knows she needs that water, but she's still thinking of drinking water, washing water. She's not thinking of the water of the fountain of eternal life, that water springing up that brings eternal life, just like the bread of life. Both of these are part of that. And Jesus was talking about giving it to her. So here Jesus makes the statement. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. So he's the bread of life. He's that true bread. He's being clear. He's that true bread from heaven that, verse 33, comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, gives eternal life to the world. That, that's what he is. This, is. this is that food. You look back on verse 27. But for the food which endures to eternal life, meaning you'll never be hungry. That's the reference he's making. He's already said this. He's referring to what he's already said to them. He who comes to me will never hunger because they'll have that food that endures to the end. And he who believes in me will never thirst. John 4, 13, 14. This is the Samaritan, with the Samaritan woman. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Talking about the water from the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst ever. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Both pointing that way, that eternal life. So like he said, he who comes to me will never hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. He who comes and he who believes. So he's making real clear what has to happen here for these people, where they have to be looking, where they have to be focusing. But he, but then he brings on the rebuke. You know, he makes clear that he's the true bread, that he's the only one that can give them the eternal life they should be looking for. He's making that very clear. So, you know, all we've got, so Then he, like I said, then he rebukes the crowd, verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. He makes clear that they've seen him, that they've seen all the miracles that Jesus has done, that they've heard all the teaching that he has done, that that they've been there. They've even been a part of the miracle, not just that he's heard about it, but they've been a part of the miracle. They've seen what he can do, that he can care for them. They've heard all the teachings and he's not out there teaching them like way too many churches do today, that the five steps to being a good Christian, you know, the 10 steps to being a good citizen in the world, not any of that kind of stuff. He points out that in the face of all of that, they still do not believe that they've seen all this and they still don't don't believe. And that that is what is preventing them from partaking of the true bread, from partaking of him. That's what's preventing them is because they've seen it, but they don't believe. Again, let's be clear here. This is an unbelieving crowd. As much as we'd like to see them and hope some are believing and somewhere down the road, some may be brought to saving faith in Christ. We don't know. There's no documentation of it. 
But at this point, this is an unbelieving crowd. This is the fickle crowd we talked about way back when we first started the chapter. And all they're interested in, in their physical needs. But all they need to do is, is come and believe. That's all they need to do. But they're not even seeking that. Again, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not trying to be Arminian here. Okay, I'm not trying to claim that, you know, um, I went blank. Um, that that I'm not trying to claim that we can bring ourselves to salvation. It's only through the work of the Holy Spirit in us that we can choose that. You know, our self choice. Sorry, it's it's it, it's not us that can choose it unless we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, unless we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. But there are material means used that bring us to the point that the Holy Spirit does the work. And these people are blocking all of that. Don't get me wrong. I'm again, I'm not saying they can overpower God or overpower the Holy Spirit or any of that, or put aside his stuff. But these are people that are nowhere near ready. These are people that would rock, walk right alongside Pharaoh, hardening their hearts, no matter what God, God wanted to do. Not, not that they could overpower him again, please. I'm not being heretical here. But these are people that are just not interested in the spiritual, not in any way, shape, or form. They just want to know what they can get. What is he going to give them next? So Jesus goes into the next part after he's rebuked them there, and he turns around and he describes his mission as given by the Father and shows his confidence in him. He's trying to explain his mission to them. Verses 37 through 40, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Jesus explains to them that all that the Father gives to him, all that God has ordained, and, and, and I'm sorry I'm going to upset some people here, because I do believe in predestination, and this is this is clear verse explaining predestination, that all that the Father gives to him, all that the God that, that God had predestined to give to Christ as a love gift, they will come, they will come, not that they might, not that they might choose to, they will come, and that Jesus will never cast them out. He will hold on to them and never lose them, and he will raise them up to glory, up to eternal life on the last day. Because these that the Father have given him will truly see the Son and believe in him. They will be empowered to see the Son and believe in him and have eternal life. That is the contrast. That is the, the, the confusion these people are having because they're not understanding this. Though Jesus is, is being very, very clear that you've got to believe in me. I mean, he said it very clearly. Um, I believe it was verse 29. Yeah, verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, because he had asked, what should we do? Of course, they were looking for works, but he said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Basically, he's saying if you that you have to believe in me, that's the work of God. And then, of course, like I said, they started asking for credentials. Well, that's what he's saying down here. That if you truly see me, not just not just the miracles, but if you truly see me, if you truly come to know Christ, if you truly come to know the miracles he does, the things he teaches, the love he shows, the example that he is, the life that he lived, 
really see, not just visually, but see him and believe. Not an intellectual assent. Yeah, I see that the Bible says that. And yeah, that's probably pretty pretty accurate. No, that we truly see and we know deep down in our hearts that he's our Lord and Savior. That's what he's saying to them. That if you know you will be you will believe you will, if you see and believe that everyone who sees the son and believes in him will have eternal life and i myself will raise him up on the last day you know all all four of these verses work together that all that the father give him all of those that he's given him will come to him and they will come and they will really see him and they will believe him and that he will never cast them out, that he will never lose them. He will hang on to them as he, as he's doing the father's will, because he came down from heaven to do the father's will, to do exactly this, for them to come to him and believe in him and him take them and hold them and, and never cast them out and protect them and not lose them and then raise them up on the last day, raise them up to eternal life. That's what to that eternal reward. That's what he's there for. That is the Father's will. He makes clear here to this crowd that they have shown themselves to not see him and to not manifest belief in him. Therefore, they're not going to be able to accept the true bread, the bread of life. They will not be able to accept him. He's making clear that what I'm speaking of is the true bread, and this is so much more important than the manna or the loaves or the fish or any other thing. I mean, even if you've given them oxen or quail like God did out in the desert to the Israelites. That none of that is as important as the true bread that he is. But they won't partake of that because they don't see and they don't believe. They're unable to see him, to see that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Therefore, unless God sends the Holy Spirit to change their hearts, they will not be saved. These are those false disciples. They come along for the miracles and the benefits, but they're not really interested in the message. Jesus has been teaching them. And the fact is, uh, you know, the fact is they, they may be sleeping through the sermons. Um, they, they, they may be, I don't know, chit chatting with their friends, friends through the sermons. Oh, there's 15 to 20,000 of us here. He'll never know that we're just chit chatting. You know, yet you, you ever been at a place like that? Um, I gotta be honest. I've, 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 I've been at the shepherd's conference and there there's anywhere three to three plus thousand of us sitting in, in the, in the big worship center. And believe me, when somebody's up there speaking, they don't know, they wouldn't know if you're chit chatting, but I, I'm sorry, the way it sucks you in, you, you just, I'm sorry, you're not going to do that. So I don't know how they would have done that unless they just are so disconnected. They're so focused on the physical. They're so focused on what I call the temporal on the worldly that they don't see the need for the true bread and they're not interested in it. And, and I'm going to be honest that, that, you know, it's, I know we keep hammering this home and I've done it for the last few evenings, but these verses tonight, all the way through this, when it's speaking of the bread of life, when Jesus is dealing with this fickle crowd, I know he's talking to a crowd of unbelievers and it's really, really easy for us to sit there and nod our heads and go, yeah, that sounds like unbelievers. Yeah, that sounds like those people over there or these people over here. But as I've said for the last few evenings, it, it is way too easy for us. It, 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 it's way too easy for us to look in the mirror, in the proverbial mirror 
and see ourselves in this exchange. And I'm not talking in a way of reading ourselves into the scripture. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. That That's eisegeting and it's not okay. But in the way of truly self-evaluating, even those of us who profess to be Christians, who profess, profess to have a saving faith in Christ, can tend to find ourselves so focused on the material, be so focused on ourselves, on our wants and physical needs, like this crowd, that we miss the true bread. We miss our need and the priority of the true bread. But we've got to keep our priorities focused. We've got to shift them from that so that our primary focus is on the spiritual, on Christ, on the Son of God. We've got to strive for that true bread, the bread of life, and take it in and soak ourselves in it, to gorge ourselves in it, you know, in a metaphorical sense, in the true bread. That's what we're called to. This is what those who the Father has given to the Son should look like so that we see the Son and believe in Him. Those are the ones that will have eternal life and will be raised up on the last day. And if we want that to be us, and again, I'm not, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we can earn our salvation. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if we are truly saved, then we have got to shove aside looking like this fickle crowd. And we've got to be those who truly see Christ and truly believe and truly hunger and thirst after the true bread, after the bread of life. That's where we've got to be. That's where we have to be in our walk. Okay, we're going to go ahead and close with the six day evening prayer. It's called the mediator. Let's pray. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee, not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, not depart ye cursed, but look unto me and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee, and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator, in whom all fullness dwells, and who is exalted to be prince and savior. To him we look, on him we depend, through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings, without ceasing to abhor sin, or to long after holiness. Feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. Delight in his service as well as in his sacrifice. Be constrained by his love to live not to ourselves, but to him. Cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining if our wishes are not indulged, or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments, but sensible of our desert, and impressed with the number and greatness of thy benefits, may we bless and praise thee at all times. Amen. All right. I hope you have a wonderful evening. I hope you're look, again looking forward to a great weekend and great worship services this sun, this weekend, whether they're Saturday or Sunday. Um, again, hope you have a great night. And God willing, I will see you tomorrow, tomorrow morning. Have a great one.
God bless. 